Hello once again, and welcome to the Rights Perspective Podcast. Today I am talking very, very briefly, or perhaps just a medium, decent amount of time, regarding the whole effect of what is known as the last rites of Catholicism. So also make sure to like the show, rate the show, and if you like and rate the show, there might be a possibility that you get more prayer requests than normal, but of course, that is completely expected of Christians and Catholics and a very good thing to attribute. Also, make sure that if you make a podcast, you use Anchor.fm. Anchor.fm is the best place to do your podcast because it's 100% free, and you get up to eight places that you can do an RSS feed, so it is truly fantastic. The last rites was a popular term that emerged as quoted by obtaining the sacrament of the sick from catholicnch.org, a term from an emergence of an incomplete translation from the official Catholic text of the old Roman ritual, which, as quoted, contains the official prayers and the sacraments of other rituals of the Roman Catholic Church. The Latin version of the 1964 Roman ritual has a section that, of course, is labeled Rites Continuanus Affirmium Medinae Sacramentis Externimus, which, of course, is the last rites as given without interpretation. This is somewhat confusing to some people, as multiple individuals want to have an interpretation of everything, but this terminology, as instructed by the original Holy Roman Catholic Church, entitles that given without interpretation is intended to mean that any any interpretation of the person's soul is meant to want to seek Christ and want Christ in the most holy way. That is to say that you don't interpret someone's sins to clarify them anymore, and they completely want their sins completely and utterly removed. Often this is a theory that is made fun of a lot of the time, as Family Guy has made fun of it before with a cutscene where Osama bin Laden just simply says, I believe in my Lord and Savior, and then of course he ends up in heaven, and that's the whole entirety of the joke, that you can just sin, sin, sin your whole entire life, and then still end up in heaven, as long as you say a simple institutionalized sentence. Of course, this is, this is not at all how Catholics are meaning to imply the terminology. Of course, it is a ritual as other types of religious rites have in their own religious-related rituals. It is a religious ritual, but of course, by Catholicism, it is meant to save you only and only if you actually turn completely 100% from your sins. Now, a short related story from catholicnch.org when it is fully giving an entire explanation as to how the last rites are used and when and where you are to institutionalize them. There's a story from this article about a grandmother that passed away without the last rites, and in a second we are going to talk very quickly about what happens when that takes place, if it is to take place. But here's an account about the last rites when it comes to that sort of circumstance. So basically here, P. 
people are writing to a father who's a priest, Father Kerper, saying that when their grandmother died in a nursing home late at night, they couldn't find a priest to give her her last rites. In the morning, we finally found a priest, but he said he couldn't give last rites because she was already dead. And they're asking the implied question as to why the priest cannot give last rites unless they are alive. Now, a lot of people don't tend to know this, and a lot of shows don't get this right and accurate, as, say, for instance, Father Brown tends to not get it right and accurate. I made a couple of critiques of that uh, show a long, long time ago, but this is really a past uh, centuries thing in the 10th and 11th centuries, where it was suspected that last rites would not be as uh, as usually uh, necessary and, well, not necessary, but last rites wouldn't really work if someone was already dead versus on the verge of death. It's meant to be instructionalized towards the actual verge of death versus actually passing on. And of course, that goes with their indicated theory of purgatory, because when you deserve purgatory, you'll thus be in purgatory. You won't be in an in-between place before you're in an in-between place. Now, last rites are constructed for someone who is on the verge of death. And obviously, we get into situations all the time at any point in the day where people don't really care intentionally, necessarily, if they live or die until their point of almost being deceased, until their point of when they get into a car accident or they have some sort of unknown viral infection, some sort of illness, some sort of horrific casualty that continues to occur. No one really thinks about death until death is on their doorstep. And really, the last rites are meant to professionally and spiritually allow people to reflect on the reality that death is in that death is intimate until Christ comes back and Christ returns, and that death definitely will be on your doorstep at every every given point of the day, and also highlights the continuous importance of actual spiritual warfare, exorcism, and ancient ritualism when it comes to Christianity and Catholicism, and we're beginning to lose the importance and continuing to lose the importance of all these things. Matter of fact, the reason why it's called a ritual to begin with is because, of course, it's necessary. If it wasn't necessary, it would just be a strange story of events that might or might not have occurred. And of course, didn't occur in an actual necessary needed proportional way. It's generally what the Unitarians think. That's generally what, sadly, a lot of Protestant churches have succumbed to in recent times. A couple of things concerning the sacrament of the sick. First, you have to seek the sacrament long before intimate death. And and this this is directionally into the call of why sacraments are necessary. You shouldn't just seek a sacrament when you're walking into a church, when you're walking into a Catholic church, when you're walking into a Protestant church. You shouldn't just seek the sacrament because the sacrament is there. You should always seek the sacrament all throughout your walk in life and thus not throw it out of the importance 
in your life just because you're in a simple situation or a simple environment. That of course goes hand in hand with actual spirituality. Now if one is seriously ill, you have to make sure to call a parish and inform a priest or a staff member right away. And of course it details leaving the full name of the person, which is obvious, institution, room number, all of that. And that goes hand in hand with actual hospitalization. Often last rites are looked up to and given when people are in nursing homes and when people are knowing that they will eventually succumb to their illness. And this often happens in the Catholic community when people are diagnosed with terminal illnesses even at a young age or at a medium age, say in the middle of 20s, 30s, or 40s. Now, one other interesting aspect, if a person is facing minor surgery or they have any form of serious illness, including addictions or mental problems, they may be, they may be anointed at the parish. Some parishes schedule the sacrament of the sick regularly, usually after Mass. And again, this is important. Because obviously, if you're Protestant, you don't look to Mass particularly in the same way Catholics do. But then, of course, there's the other hand where you have to look to church as completely important. It's not just a building. Of course, while being a building with people in it, it is meant to be looked at as a ritualistically holy place. It's intended to be holy, and it's intended to bring you back to complete wholeness and complete holiness. And thus to be said, people who are Protestants should actually look to churches as places where miracles can occur and as places where people can ultimately end up being blessed and anointed. Now let's go through a topic really quick concerning, uh, concerning how last rites are actually given and how the Chaplet of Divine Mercy is actually given. Because the Chaplet of Divine Mercy is what you do right before the last rites are given to someone who is dying. It's a step-by-step -step process, but of course, a hundred percent more important than, say, building that chemistry kit or building that piece of furniture that takes a lot of instructions in order to understand. It's far more important than any type of normal mortal action. So, step one that a priest partakes in. You have to make the sign of the cross. You say, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You go up, down, left to right is the Catholic way, and up, down, right to left is the Orthodox way. Now here's the opening prayers of the chaplet. You expired... Jesus, but the source of life gushed forth for souls, and the ocean of mercy opened up for the whole world. A fount of life, unfathomable divine mercy, envelop the whole world and empty yourself out upon us. O blood and water which gushed forth from the heart of Jesus as the fountains of mercy for us, I trust you. And you repeat it three times because you just did the sign of the cross, and three times is the holy number of the Trinity. And this is referencing when Jesus died on the cross. And he said, Father, I give up my spirit. This is referencing the most holy sacrifice for the whole of the world. Now, this is what the priest is meant to say. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
and everyone else within the room give us this day our daily bread. It's the whole entire call, of course, of the Lord's Prayer. And this is where it gets extremely Catholic and not extremely Protestant. You're to do one Hail Mary, which a Hail Mary is led by the priest. And this is what a Hail Mary st states. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. And everyone else says, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, and at the hour of our death, amen. Now this is controversial to Protestants, because they view that you are not to pray to Mary, you are not to pray concerning Mary. And of course, the Catholic argument to undermine that potentially is the fact that Jesus technically came from Mary. Of course, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but Jesus still technically came from Mary, and thus Mary has to be some sort of a holy individual to be able to birth Jesus in the first place. This is where a lot of people can think it's to an indecent extent somewhat of a cult due to the fact that you are praising some sort of individual before praising God. That's a pretty strong argument. But still the whole argumentation of Mary to birth Jesus is still decently strong and decently places Mary on at least somewhat of a pedestal. I wouldn't fully state that she is to be at the highest pedestal, or even the same pedestal necessarily, but it is a decent theological argumentation to incentivize that she is on somewhat of a pedestal. And that's something that Protestants still won't, will not even adhere to. After that, you say the Apostles' Creed, and you pray the Rosary, which the Rosary is meant to be completely in connection to your genealogical bloodline, and it's meant to be in complete connection to people that have already passed. And that's also something that can be taken in somewhat of a cult way, but it's also meant to bless your past generation, as well as bless you in the face of Lord Jesus Christ and Mary and God. And in the face of your past generations who have died, you begin to pray the crucifix, and that is actually done with the first beads that are around the cross and the last four beads around the cross above the sign of Mary, where you make the sign of the cross, say the Apostles' Creed, say Our Father, say three Hail Marys, again in reference to the Trinity, and you say Glory be to the Father, which is a whole nother prayer. You announce the first mystery, then say, Our Father, say ten Hail Marys while meditating on the mystery, say the glory uh, be to our Father, followed by optional Vathma prayer, which is a whole nother prayer. Announce the second Mary, or, or the second, min, min, uh, the second uh, mystery, which is a whole nother prayer, and say, Our Father, repeat six and seven, which is the prayer you've already said in numerous amounts of times and continue with the third, fourth, and fifth mysteries. And I'll go over that later on, but those are other prayers and those are other Catholic doctrinal statements. And in the end, pray the Holy Mother Queen, which is another prayer specifically to Mary, and that's another whole entire controversy that we will get to later on. But you have all these specific 
statements, ritualisms, you touch the crucifix, you pray multiple times, and really a passionate, good aspect of all of these rituals is the amount of institutionalized prayer and the amount of holy prayer. Often people don't pray enough, and again, as we've mentioned originally, people often only pray when they feel they have a need to, which of course is not what prayer is meant to be. Now this is one of the most important ones. This, I think, is at least the top three of the important prayers when it comes to praying the rosary and when it comes to praying specifically to Jesus. And of course, with Catholic theology, having some saints or some individuals on higher pedestals than normal people. There's the prayer known as the Aluma Christi. And this is again a direct a Latin translated into English prayer and Greek translated into English prayer when it comes to the situation of Christ on the cross. Now I'm going to read this out. It says, Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, save me. Blood of Christ, inebriate me. Water from the side of Christ, wash me. Passion of Christ, strengthen me. O good Jesus, hear me. Within thy wounds, hide me. Suffer me not to be separated from thee. From the Malchus enemy, or from the malicious enemy, defend me. In the hour of my death, call me, and bid me come unto thee, that I may praise thee with thy saints and with thy angels forever and ever. Amen. Now this is a prayer that all Protestants should know. It truly is. Even if you don't even adhere to 2% of Catholic theology, this is 100% a prayer that you need to memorize and you need to understand. Because it's one of the strongest, and when I say this I'm not exaggerating, one of the strongest prayers against the enemy. One of the strongest forms of good spiritual warfare that exists. Of course, in combination, you are to focus on Jesus. And that's again where crucifixes come in. But this is by far one of the most connected to God statements you can possibly say. It has everything, everything involved, completely, utterly connected to Christ just before he died and just before he raised. Soul of Christ, body of Christ, blood of Christ, water from the side of Christ, passion of Christ, the wounds of Christ, don't leave me to my enemies, at the hour of my death, call me every single type of attributed thing that can bring you to God and away from the world. Every single type of attributed thing. You have to make this the center of your Catholic faith and you have to make this the center of your Protestant faith. With that, I will leave you on those terms. Think about those prayers. Look up those prayers. Memorize those prayers. And I will talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.